Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 427 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Thomas Keane of Godolphin Games and ask him about the design and development of their voice-controlled adventure game, Unknown Number. In this episode, we delve into the concepts of interfaces and how it doesn't just have to be a button press. It can also be your own voice. Now, granted, this is not the first time it's been attempted, But Unknown Number is a very unique title. It almost mocks the player, at least the characters do, when they do something wrong or they basically chide them on. It's an interesting take, an interesting approach, and something that Thomas and I do delve into in great detail. So do listen on to me from the recent past, talking to Tom about this extraordinary game that is Unknown Number. Hello, Tom. Hello, Chris. Hello. <laughs> Could you tell us who you are and what you do? Yes, indeed. Uh, so I'm uh, the creative director at Godolphin Games, which is a, a sort of a new studio set up a few years ago. Now, I say it new, but I guess three years isn't that new. But our whole thing is trying to explore um, unlikely gameplay mechanics. So uh, gameplay mechanics that are inherently experimental and push the edges of what a game might look like. And our first game, came out in 2022 which is the first venture as a studio um obviously we've all done things before like we um uh, ben who's our programmer was involved in uh, the space harvest games which were quite successful uh, sort of real-time strategy games for ios um i've been involved in various different game like projects over the years so um i, I worked a lot for xbox doing ex- sort of experimental ish uh arg style experiences that were kind of um kind of marketing their sort of exclusives um whether that was halo 5 or whether that was um you know the tomb raider uh, they had on, on as an exclusive for a bit uh, and i've also done other things like um i did a project for uh the scottish government making a sort of a vr game about knife crime but i would say that this this studio is kind of the thing that i've been spearheading and it's my kind of passion project and um this game, I'd say, is the first game that I've been the full creative director of. Uh, and it's been a very, very educational experience. People tell you not to do experimental games all the time. Yeah. Uh, the consistent feedback I've had throughout the development of Unknown Number is, oh, don't make that game. So how did you make your start making video games then? Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, I said, I, I, I've made sort of game-like objects uh, for a long time, but uh, and I've been involved in games around the edges, but but really, if I'm being you know totally honest, this this project and this studio was the first time I was like, I'm gonna just try something new, and I'm not new to interactive experiences at all. Um, uh, but it's it's more just 
as a game designer, you know, that these are kind of the the, the period that this is this might this this you know, this is the first big bold thing I've done, you know, outside of um outside of I guess tutelage within the the game sphere. Um so it's been a really interesting experiment for that sense. But but I think really like I mean the actual kind of bigger answer is why and how is um you know I had this other career that I did for a number of years you know almost a decade and it was a sort of a corporate career and it was successful if you can classify corporate careers as successful or desirable but I think I had a sort of a revelation that really like the thing that I care about the thing I think is really important and interesting at the moment is is video games um and I also have a sort of a sensation that a lot of people are doing very good video games and very interesting video games but they are the vast majority of them are on similar tracks um they are they sort of play within existing genres and push those genres to new heights and, and you know and, and I, this is not me denigrating the work of others at all it's more just saying i'm very interested in that kind of like messy fringe where actually you know um i think i can probably make the most difference you know someone who doesn't have 15 years working at blizzard under my under my belt it's more just to go like oh you know i'm interested in in this idea and let's pursue it even against all advice and i'm interested in that idea and let's do the same and and so on and so forth i have have some friends who work in sort of avant-garde music and i actually asked them like how do you do this thing where you make stuff that you think is really interesting and but like not loads and loads of people are experiencing it and and they were like well the thing is is if if just just two people play it and are affected by it and then carry it on in their own work in some way even if it's a very slight way that it was worth it if i mean sorry the number two is meaningless if one i if, if basically just as long as you're creating something that has an impact on at least one other person that then carries those ideas forward um then yeah then that's obviously yeah, worth yeah. it in an obvious that's sense you know and it is art it, it, you know it, I, I definitely want to see what we're doing as art and the other context is uh, it was my choice was be a game developer or be a conceptual artist, and and let's just say I've fallen out of love with conceptual art on <laughs> quite a serious level. So so you know video games are really all there is left. The benefit of that is that now making video games feels kind of punky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I know is so imagine. stupid. It's so stupid. No, no. It's a bit of a, like a, you know an fu to to what I perceive of as the establishment, which I know is not real. Or true, and it's more just like me having some teenage dialogue with my parents. So (laughs) I think we've sort of fell into the next question. Here it is. You are a creator of things, as you've admitted earlier. And I'd just like to ask, um, what are your biggest influences? Yes, that's interesting. I I mean, I I basically, I, I have a weird thing about games. Like, I fall in and out of love with them all the time. And I'll have a moment where I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, this, this game's amazing and that game's amazing. And it's, it's usually the kind of like, you know, the Lucas Popes or the, you know, the inscription or whatever, the obvious games. But I think, um, I think it really pays to have a much broader influence world view than just video games, I guess. You know, it's like, I obviously got to play video games, got to understand what's going on, got to analyze them, got to, you know, got to do that classic thing of, of noting down what you liked and what you'd change and all that sort of thing, just to keep your, your design brain working. But, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's more about going, um, I don't know, looking at new technologies, for example, like I'm very interested in, in, you know, like GPT three, right. Is so problematic in so many different ways, but equally inspires so many new thoughts about what a game might be. 
you know, what a conversation with a smart, intelligent being might be, you know, and there you go, that could be a game. And then, um, you know, it's just, I basically think, you know, in a way, it's about trying to find um, games in unusual spaces. So, you know, like telephone calls. People haven't made games about telephone calls particularly directly. They have thematically but they haven't done a game where it's all about telephone calls. And then you can use that as an inspiration and go, because that mode suggests all sorts of gameplay mechanics, you know? Um, I mean, I guess the question of influences is, is like hard if it's about who do I, who am I specifically influenced by, you know? Um, obviously those game makers, obviously like, uh, you know, conceptual artists from everyone from like Boyce to like, I don't know, Ryan Gander to like, I don't know, you know, video art or whatever it might be, but it it is more just about trying to be super open to everything you see as a potential game. You know, like trying to see everything as a game potentially. Games should come from real life rather than from games, I guess is what I sort of think. In the same way that the novel should come from real life rather than other novels. I mean, I, I worry the stuff I'll say is so obvious. It's like Neuromancer and Neil Stevenson and, you know, all the, all, all the kind of the great sci-fi works and you know, I th- I th- I'm very interested in like writing about technology. You know, that's why Neil Stevenson is obviously a really exciting writer for that very reason. But I th- but I think often those things are helpful from a genre point of view. You know, almost like once you get your sort of your silly game idea you're going to pursue, then you need a genre to plug it into, and you go, oh, what genres are out there? Hmm. Yeah, Neil Stevenson did some interesting stuff on like you know a new version of cyberpunk from the '90s and blah blah. blah you know. And yeah, so I guess that's what other culture does. Culture gives you genre ideas, whereas life should give you mechanic or format ideas. I mean, I think his history in particular, I mean, obviously I'm very interested in like sort of ancient stuff, but like not the classical stuff. You know, I'm more interested in like dark ages and strange, strange magical spaces, you know, like folklore and that sort of stuff. Yes, like, I mean, it's that's, interesting. That's where I naturally draw to, you know. My conception of the dark ages and that term, and maybe this is a specific academic yeah. term, is... The, re- well, the, way, the way that I sort of conceptualise that is it's the dark ages because of the loss of sources. Yes. In, it's, the, it's the ages we can't peer into, but we can see everything with the Romans. Like, hell of a lot. Anyway, you know, let's, let's move swiftly on. Let's move swiftly on to the next question. What video game developer do you admire most and why? So I would say that Lucas Pope was the first individual developer that I first went, oh, wow, like... <laughs> you can do really interesting stuff that is covered in your own personal passion <laughs> rather than something that's coming out from a kind of a machine or a or a, or even like a in a group sense i mean i know that i'm accidentally tripping over this like dog-eared conversation about authorship in video games and i know that it's super problematic and i know that it doesn't exist in the sense that the, the team makes a game. That's very much my experience. And so I'm not, I, I just, yeah, dear listener, I am not accidentally uh, falling foul of that perception. But it is interesting that you can get Lucas Pope making a game like Papers, Please, which is a game that if you explained it to anyone, people would say, don't make that game. Don't make a game about stamping passports. It won't be fun, especially at that time. I mean, now we know it's a, that kind of thing works. We know that the the work sim works. We know that all these things work. Uh, you know, at that time it was it was definitely a, a more of an unknown. I think it's yeah, it, it's that he was able to do it in a way that made people see it differently. Perhaps 
I mean, also, I think, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I this is probably my ignorance. It, it, you know, it's for me, the, the headline of let's turn admin into a game feels really exciting. And I love that admin. I, I mean, I love that kind of that leap of like the challenge, you know, it's a bit like when they made Midsummer, right? The movie. And they said, let's try and make a horror movie that is entirely in sunlight. And you're like, yeah, yeah you know, they've, they've lost some, but it's like it's a it's a good challenge. Like, like the similar with unknown number, it was like, let's try and make a game that is told entirely through phone calls, and you can only talk, you know. And you know, obviously, you you veer from that central view, but you want to start off with a big, meaty, silly challenge that you're probably going to fail at at some level. But it's like a good north star to chase. How so? Yes, you know, think about other 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 makers. I mean, obviously. Again, I mean, it's, it's 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 all those it's all those people that could be, you know, like Slavia Nelson's a pretty amazing guy, like Daniel Mullins is a pretty amazing guy, <laughs> like all these kind of really obvious people, and it's it's tricky because um, they're, they're, those are the people all playing in the space that I find really exciting. But that, of course, doesn't mean I'm not like a massive Elden Ring fan, and I don't play Dota two. I mean, if I look at my Steam library, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's mostly Dota two anyway. <laughs> still the greatest game of all time no one will ever beat it it's a, it's like it makes chess look dumb <laughs> speaking of playing games last question of the first half well done tom you made it here we are <laughs> what are you playing right now Often well too. <laughs> well well I, I tell you what i mean the, what i'm i'm doing that thing at the end of the year i'm trying to pick up the games i missed that everyone's talking about so, like, you know, I literally was like, I'm going to play Cults of the Lamb. I played that for about an hour and I'm going to play Immortality. And I played that for about an hour and I'm going to play, you know, Loop Hero and, and all, you know, all those ones. Um, just, to, just to make sure that I, I know the energy around it, you know. I think, yeah, I mean, I literally r- roller, roller Dome or Roller Drome. What's it called? Roller Drome? That's the last thing I literally played. I just realized, uh, you know, in talking about games I'm really picking up, I mean, uh, getting back to that question before, I mean, Sam Barlow is probably the person I'm most influenced by on a really practical, technical level. So Sam Barlow is famous for her story, telling lies and immortality. And what? And basically, her story, I mean, it's weird because it's not that I've enjoyed the games the most, but that's not shade in their games at all. Uh, it's, it's, more, it's more just like, when I first played her story, it was a revelation. Because I was like, Oh, games can be funny shapes. They can be they can they can be weird. They can they can be uh in a format that doesn't look and feel like a game. And again, I'm sure I'm sure you'll have a, a game that was like this before and I know FMV has been around for a long time, but but I found the her story format of a database you searched and a story you unraveled where only you as the player could determine whether you'd complete it or not. You just decided when you had enough story. I love the openness and freeness of that. And, and I think, if anything, that's, that singular experience was the influence for this, this, these projects I've been pursuing recently. Right. And I know I'm in the minority. I know that, like, you know, I say I have this love-hate relationship with games. One of my biggest yeah. things is I don't understand the games that people like. I just don't enjoy most of them. And I know that I know that I'm in a minority. I know the vast majority of people get huge pleasure, and they are incredible masterpieces at what they do. But one of my big things is I just can't get on with those games. Elden Ring, however, everybody should like Elden Ring. It's good though, isn't it? It's good. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the second half of the show. Will we, Tom? Will we delve deep into unknown number? Mm. 
So, first question. Regular listeners will know isn't really a question. It's more of a request. And I wish you the very best of luck with this one. What is unknown number? Unknown number is uh, a voice controlled thriller told through a series of interactive phone calls. Uh, and it's the first game in a genre that we've penned as the first person talker. So um, essentially what happens in the game is you get a phone call and it's a an urgent plea for help. And it's these two eco warriors are basically conducting a heist uh, on, in, in the middle of the North Sea, trying to steal blah, blah, blah. Um, and what's kind of fun about it is you're suddenly pulled into the middle of this heist and you basically get to choose whether or not you're going to join them and you know whether you're going to become their co-conspirator and essentially i don't know if you remember that bit from um the recent james bond where you've got q on the end of a telephone sort of you know feeding james bond the the kind of information as he cracks through the base in this game you play as q and the eco warriors james bond and you're kind of there giving them uh sort of help directions helping them crack the passwords helping them you know basically progress through this labyrinth adventure space and get to the end of the mission and pat yourself on the back <laughs> does that do it <laughs> i think so i mean most people when they think unknown number and it flashes on their phone what do they do oh so not answering that <laughs> yeah yeah it's just like i don't know anyone in texas what is this you know, it's... Well, yeah i mean one of the reasons that's one of, it was one of the kind of the original jokes that never went away was like an unknown number is such an undesirable thing and but i, I think the other thing i'll just add to that first spiel is like you know, beyond the narrative and the kind of role is i touched on the voice control thing right and in a very real way like the voice control thing is obviously the experimental part of the game i mean and the fact it's played through phone calls but the voice controlled thing is the key thing and the thing we were really interested in doing is like exploring voice control in a kind of quite a broad way so you know while there have been previous games that have done like i don't know like text to speech and you know that kind of thing and in a way some of the oldest adventure games do that just with typing right we were like oh well, why don't we why don't we explore it in a sort of like the broadest possible sense so shouting and whispering and singing and, and you know and the original game had blowing in it and all this sort of stuff and so our, our definition of voice control was like um, if we're going to inspire others to start messing around with voice control, right, then let's make this a kind of almost like a copy book of experiments about the kind of things where where voice could go uh, if you keep pushing it and keep keep kind of, um, you know, pursuing it. And that's why we're going, you know, this is the first per first first person talker, you know, and we'd love others to take the, the experiments we've done and improve on them and keep pushing forward and, and develop that genre and, and kind of make voice a, a viable uh, you know, mechanic going forward. There is a sense that Unknown Number is trying to immerse the player as quickly as possible by not recognising the fourth wall. It's not there. It's never there. Mm. You never acknowledge the fact that this is an artificial experience. How have you, what, what effort have you spent or what things have you done to make sure that is maintained throughout? Well, firstly, I'm very glad that you feel that because uh, that is obviously one of the intentions and, and one of the things I was mentioning about, you know, the pen and paper, for example. Um, I think the whole purpose of the game was to make you feel put on the spot and make you feel put on the spot as you, the person, rather than you, a protagonist in a game. And the kind of the theory of that was that it was going to make you feel make you feel much heavier and more intense about everything that happens 
because you're not making the decision as Kratos or whoever it might be. You're making the decision as you sitting in your bedroom, looking around, being like, is this real? <laughs> you know, that's the intention, I, right? Yeah. I mean, to, to, to introverts like myself, answering a phone is pretty tough going as it is. So actually interacting with it on a regular basis as a primary means of communication is mentally exhausting. Totally. But, but that's you you feed into that. You know, in fact, you do get you buy into it, even though you it is utter fiction, you you somehow have these hooks, these little tricks, these little things you do. And we're gonna talk about it later in a later question because it's it's, it's related to it, but the delivery. It's the only way I can describe it. it. Sounds a bit corporate, but the delivery of the experience is so tightly wound about the conceit that this is real. Mm. This is actually happening. Yeah. In, until you press quit. <laughs> and then it's not. And then you can go back to playing Dota 2. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. But, well, uh, you know, you yeah. know it's, that's the thing. It's just, but at the time, you do feel like you're personally responsible for the safety or whoever you're interacting with. <laughs> yes. I think, yeah, you asked how do we do that. I think one of the key things we had was a very neat setup, which is there's something very intimate and direct about the phone. And there is something very intimate and direct about talking. Yeah. And and I think, you know, it's really funny because I think when most people do talking games and think about talking games, they think about talking as instructions to a character on the screen or talk in some way or 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 it's almost like you're operating on a meta level where you're saying go over to the dresser and pick up the the brush right and it's and it's just it all and for example so for example lifeline don't know if you played lifelines the other it's the other fame well the other famous huh, the famous voice control game um which is basically like so it's a japanese game from the year 2000 and you basically play it by uh giving someone instructions go over to the dresser go over this shoot the person and actually what it means is that the voice actually creates this barrier between you and the game. Whereas whereas what we realize is that actually if you make it so you've got characters directly talking to you and you've got a medium which is being directly piped into your <laughs> metaphorical ear, then then actually it feels crazy direct. It feels yeah. semi-real. And, and, and obviously there's two major moments. Well, there's three things we do quite specifically to make it real. Uh, two of them aren't spoilers and the third one is. Uh, and there are three things that have been the most criticized as well as also the most celebrated by reviewers so the first is notepad and paper because that's something that makes you go shit it's really me oh my god it's i i'm I'm, there's no in-game pad i make it's me in my real environment i love the faux website it's great (laughs) well that's the next one yeah the real world website that is available on the real internet and you know all this sorts of stuff and and that's a big one where you're like you know the, the the my favorite moment when watching streamers is where they open the browser and they, they go, oh, yeah, it's in-game browser. Huh? And they go, oh, oh, my God, it's the real internet. <laughs> and they go, oh, I, I can search anything. And they, they will. They'll do a test. They'll go, Google? Oh, wow, okay. And then they'll, you know, if it's streamers, they'll usually Google themselves. <laughs> and then the third one is the, the end of the game. I don't okay. know what patch you played it on. Mm. Uh, but there's... November last year, so you can make a guess on that. Quite mm. early, I suspect, but uh, yes. Mm. So you probably played the original version, which is the mm. purest, best version in my personal opinion. But, <laughs> but it was slightly 
changed because pe- such outrage. It inspired such outrage. You did a Mass <laughs> Effect 3 on it? Oh, sad face. <laughs> <laughs> well, this leads on uh, to... But it's, still, it's still possible. It's still a possibility, but we've re- added other routes that enable okay. others to do a more artificial version Fine. than the very real version Fine. that was intended and designed. Just embrace <laughs> the peace, everyone. For God's sake. Anyway, <laughs> I want to talk about this is more gamey aspect of unknown mm. number because we've spoken about the interface we've spoken about the experience but i need to lean into the game aspect whatever that means tom but just entertain you know humor <laughs> me for the moment but there are puzzles mm. Mm. there really are puzzles <laughs> with a capital p glowing yes. neon puzzle kind of thing and again i regress back to my text adventure days and and indeed, point-and-click adventures, if you like. Can I ask, were your the design of these puzzles, and clearly you did, did you draw from those that genre of game to, to develop them? Yeah, definitely. I, I think what the, what the kind of joke for us was, was what classic puzzle formats can we borrow and then that will fit in this new shape of game. So it's like, what if we have a map, classic map navigation game, but this time you've got to do it with your voice, you know? And it's a classic logic puzzle of like moving the pieces around a map to try and get an outcome, but you have to do it with your voice this time. And it's the same. And then, and, and in a way, you know, and then it's like working out the, you know, working out the passcode, classic adventure game stuff, like, working out you know the, this and that and and what we were just going is what if we take these these classic forms and and then basically collide them with voice and telephones and see what you get you know that was kind of that was kind of the idea <laughs> well I, I think the, the 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 sort of the wisdom there was actually fairly received wisdom in a good way um which is the idea that if you're pushing one experimental thought and you're really doing it in a way that you don't, you really don't know how good it's going to be and whether it's going to work. I mean, that, that was, I will say that throughout this entire process, I've been like, I don't know if this is going to work. And, and it's like, I don't know if voice could ever, you know, if, if this whole setup is going to be engaging enough and I'm trying all the tricks I could possibly think of to make it engaging. All that, but, you know, you don't do too many experimental things at once. Choose <laughs> one experimental hill to die on, which voice control via telephones, and then make everything else go, yeah, no, I, I, that's, that's, it's because it's, it's like I, I spoke at um, York University recently about experimental game design, and um, I, I introduced uh, Godolphin Games as you know the, the the studio that's interested in unlikely gameplay mechanics. And one of the students was like, "Isn't that just like you choosing various hills to die on?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, it kind of is." So let's move on um, to the next point, and this is more of a presentation thing mm. or a narrative thing. The ensemble cast of characters in unknown number uh, that you quickly, you know, you really become very familiar with very, very quickly. The use of sound, I suspect, has enhanced this because you don't see them. You only ever hear them, mm. typically. It's not, you know, there are, you know... <laughs> Things happen. But anyway, typically you only see, you only hear them. Have you found that the use of just sound enhances the person's, a player's connection with these people they're interacting with? 
And how have you exploited this fact? Yeah, I mean, the sound is the was the biggest, most chunky part of this project, weirdly. So, so starting from the beginning of that story, we, we built a prototype. And the prototype was going for realism. It was like, let's make it sound like it's coming down a phone. And let's like really, you know, you know, the muffled tone thing and all that sort of stuff. And there was a sudden realization that actually, because you're not seeing anything really, I mean, that's debatable, but because you're not seeing things being played out in Initially, a direct way. Initially, let's just go there. Carry yeah. on. What actually needs to happen was the sound needs to work so much harder to paint the scene in people's yep. minds. And so then we went, okay, well, let's let's actually take inspiration from cartoons. Let's actually approach this like a cartoon. You know, like every single sound is almost musical, is exaggerated. It's a bit like a Tom and Jerry thing where if someone pulls out a diamond ring, you get a ding, you know? And, and you know, you do it on a psychoacoustic level, so it never becomes totally unbelievable. But it, 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 is, it is basically hyper real in a way to basically force you to see the details. So every detail has a sound. The thing is, we, we made all the sounds by hand was the other really important thing. So there's right. no digital sounds in there. So everything was recorded right. live. All the footsteps was trod out, every clang of metal, every chain hoist, is it everything was Foley, real. they call it? Is it, is it, is it yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Foley. And we're very lucky to work with a producer called Easy Fun, who actually is ironically famous for digital music. But we were like with him, like, what if we just... Um, do this for real like we really act out the entire damn thing <laughs> like when someone's being stabbed let's actually stab them you know let's actually stab something you know we even recorded the sound of a hug right and of course that was pointless no one heard it <laughs> we got pretty in in intricate about it you know everything well... was recorded and yeah i mean i think i think i think you know even if you don't notice all the details i think the the overall philosophy of that has made a pretty rich <laughs> ott environment that you can really like get properly immersed in so, yeah. last question. While there is an emphasis on sound design in Unknown Number, and there is, there is a visual pre presentation that is really quite discordant <laughs> to the point of it becoming uncomfortable in many regards. Not offensively, everyone, or, yeah. or violent, or it's just, this is like, you know, when you have those waking dreams, you know, I mean, I had one this morning. I won't share too much, but it's one of those like you wake up, and go, "Oh, what was that? <laughs> What's that about? What's it, what anxiety drove that one into my brain?" You know, but um, can you talk us through the design of the visual representation of what's going on? What the, clearly there's symbiosis between. I mean, yes, you yeah. spent the bulk of your time on the sound design, but you have to have some visual representation of what's going on outside the faux website and the telephone. There's other things going on. So can you talk yeah. through those? I definitely can. I, but I'd actually be quite interested to hear a bit also about what, what particular aspect you found discordant. I mean, in, I'll, I'll quickly do an overview of what you see, right? You see a, a sort of a floating phone screen in the middle, you know, photo, like, yeah, floating phone in the middle of the screen, which was, in you know, it's like, what, you know, and then, and then around it, you see a kind of a, a FMV, you know, video background that impressionistically tries to bring to life the emotion and space mm. that the characters are in at the end of the phone. Um, but the other thing, of course, you have is um, the character Vox, who is, you know, almost like our version of Microsoft Clippy, uh, collided with like Alexa or Google Assistant or whatever, who is essentially listening into your conversation and animating 
in response to um to to, to the you know the, the action on, on screen or down the phone rather i think yeah i mean we, we're very much like how do you create a environment a visual environment that is evocative without being descriptive and that's why you know you've got the impressionistic video you've got a animated character that is reacting rather than acting out you know uh, and you've obviously got the phone screen, which is m- mutating to reflect the puzzles and the action as well. But it's all it's all kind of allowing it's allowing the player to actually imagine what's really going on for themselves. Like we were very keen not to tread on the imaginative world of the player too much and rather give triggers and stimulus for it. But having said that, I would like to I'd love to hear your thoughts on on the discordant part and um, uh, what, what, what you found around that. I think the discordant part is a mixture of two things. It's the strange video in the background that's swirling around that you're not paying attention to. There's constantly mm. a peripheral vision. It's always yep. there. Which enhances what's going on on the phone. Because the phone doesn't act as a phone that we are familiar with. Mm. And of course, the interface is nothing like an Android or an iOS for obvious reasons. That's, that's a side issue. One, it does things that phones don't normally do. It mm. talks to an interaction in a different way an uncomfortable way because you think you're familiar, you know, to use a bloody touch screen phone. <laughs> They've been around for, you know, 15 years for pity's sake. Get over yourself. I'm afraid not. This is, it's doing, it's pushing back on you. That's the best way to describe it. It pushes back and that's not comfortable. Yeah. 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 And that's where it becomes discordant. Like I don't, yeah, yeah. I, I, no, I have control over this. You're just a phone. You're just a tool. <laughs> Don't don't talk back at me like this. Don't don't don't. I'm not going to be led by you. It's the other way round, yeah. and that's where the discordance comes in. Yeah, I hear that. And, and uh, whether it's by design or by accident, I think it might be a mixture of both. But I, maybe it isn't. Maybe it was your intention. Like no, no, no. We want to we want to the, make the player. The game lose. is meant to impinge on you. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. Like the whole concept of an unknown number. Is an unwanted yeah point. It's, I mean, they rang the wrong it, number. You shouldn't have yeah. picked up the phone. You can yeah. finish the game really quickly by not answering it. Totally, yeah. You don't need to play the game. That's it literally what's funny is like people go, "Oh, what do I don't want to get involved in the game?" It's like, um, don't then uninstall the game. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't answer the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, mean, I think Lock it's you the know, number. Like, yeah, there you go. Job's done. We, we very much saw it as like trying to capture that invasive sense of like the game is getting at you the game is aggressive the game is impinging on your personal morals and space and all these things that's what you know you're, you're writing notes on your table and you're this and it's you know that, that was very much the intention i mean it's funny you know i think at times we pushed it too far uh it, it, and sometimes i mean what's funny with this game is there's so many things that i haven't seen before that and i don't mean that as like a woo i mean more like there's a lot of experiments in here and invariably some of them are much more successful than others. But what I do think is all the experiments are interesting and valid. <laughs> For me, the best way to describe it is, and again, it's a topical thing to say, and you may think, oh, Chris, you're being a bit facetious here, but let's just go with it. Let's just say it feels like, well, you've seen Die Hard, right? Yeah. Mm. What if you were John McClane? Would you have done what he did? Yeah, you've done yeah. it. 
No. And that's how <laughs> no, of course, of course not. Of course not. You know, it wouldn't be like it just yeah, but you know, Alan Rickman's fantastic German accent. And you did a good you did a you know. But uh, past that, no, would you have done it? But that's the point of unknown number. It gives you that opportunity to be John McLean. Mm-hmm. And uh, the atmosphere and the narrative is thankfully way more nuanced and interesting than any of the Die Hard films. Of course it is. <laughs> but the point being is that you are the hero person. You mm. are making those decisions that if only, well, you don't have to do the if only. Like, if I was there, I'll do this. Like, really? Well, I'll have a pop then, see what happens. You know, yeah. see your own anxieties and, um, you know, agendas, they feed into this narrative. Because they do. Because you make decisions based on your own proclivities, so to speak. Totally. And I found that out to my cost. Anyway, (laughs) um, (laughs) Unknown Number is developed by Godolphin Games. Lovely name. Not Unknown Number. (laughs) Could you tell us where it comes from? Yeah, it's, um, uh, it's a sort of a family joke. Uh, so my great grandfather is like a cult leader. <laughs> okay. Uh, like, and no, not not like it's not like a killer cult or anything. No, no, like no. Just, no. But just a just a pretty funky cult from the kind of the forties and fifties. Okay. And it's basically yeah, his second name was Godolphin, and and it's like me and my brother, pretty much everything we do, because he's also a creative in different ways. Everything we do, we sort of call it Godolphin this or Godolphin, Godolphin that. that. Yeah, nice. <laughs> you know, and I think it, I mean it's just like yeah, it's it's it, 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 I, the funny thing about that cult was it was like trying to wake you up with like disruptive behaviors, right? This is me okay. sounding very marketing for a moment, and like I think that that's in a way the thing I'm trying to pull the essence of it that I'm pulling into this, which is like <laughs> disruptive games that wake you up a little bit. And go, <laughs> oh, I didn't know games could look like that. That's a, that's a new kind of game. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So yes, and um, so unknown number. It's what what platforms is it available on? It's available on Steam currently. Right. We're exploring options. <laughs> I have to ask that question, but uh, no. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a remarkable game, and as you can hear, and it's not the first time we've delved into unusual and unique games on this show. I'm very happy to say, and we will continue to do so. But Tom, thank you for adding to that um, uh, large sort of roster of games that we've spoken about that push the edge, push the boundaries of the medium. So thank you, Tom. Well, well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And you're more than welcome to come back and chat about whatever next is cooking in your brains. Absolutely, absolutely. We've got something very cool in the works. Cool. That I'm very hyped about, which is totally different, but equally experimental. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we'll be here to, to chat to again whenever it arrives. But in the fantastic, meantime, fantastic. thank you very much. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. Mm-hmm.